Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGoff. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hi, Annie. Hey, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two pieces of media, like a movie or book or TV show. What and, have you. Yeah, and then mash it up with another one. Oh, man. And see where the crossovers happen. Two movies, books, and TV shows? Yeah, how is or, that? Or a web series. Whoa. Hold on. Web yeah, series? Yeah. That sounds like a thing that the kids talk about. It's all, they're Snapchatting all about them. Oh my gosh. Snapchat. I don't know what Snapchat is, really. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few vague ideas, yeah. but nothing really filled out. Um, well, Annie, um, why are we talking about web series? So today we are crossing over one of our first web series. I think um, our very first. Yeah. And uh, we are crossing over the Lizzie Bennet Diaries with Blade Runner. Yeah. Match made in heaven. Yeah. Um, cyberpunk with cyber current day yeah. ragamuffins. Yeah. Or yes. Or Orphans love YouTube. Uh-huh. They're Snapchatting all about it. <laughs> 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 Indeed they are. When orphans really should have not invested in those phones. They should have bought socks. Parents instead, I guess. Oh. I mean I guess it's not an That's orphan like, specifically. Um... There's that movie, the God, what was it called? Like um, the Mommy Market or Where something. Kids buy phones instead no, of parents. Kids buy parents. Oh man, instead of phones. It's See, like that's Sissy's wise Basic was in it. Oh yeah. And she played like several different versions of a mother. Oh, I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, that and the weird. girl from My Girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're I not rented that, that like nine out. times. I loved it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we're not talking about that yep, today. Maybe someday. Because it sounds distressing. So why don't you tell me about Lizzie Bennet Diaries instead? So, uh, Lizzie Bennet Diaries is not distressing. Uh, it is a web series and a contemporary adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, it was created by Hank Green and Bernie Sue and produced by Jenny Powell. And it ran from April 9th, 2012 to March 28th, 2013. So we're about the anniversary of both the start and the end of the series. Oh, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, um, Lizzie this, Bennett Diaries people. Was this Nerdfighter Hank Green? Yes, this is a Nerdfighter Hank Green who actually I met in person. What? I have a picture of myself with Hank Green like way back when he and John Before were doing cool. a tour. Well, he was still cool at that point, but it was like... You could have a reading of of John Green's and like an event with Hank Green and like everybody and could be in. in like a normal size room instead yeah. of like a giant auditorium. <laughs> it was pre-stadium tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Um, the story follows Lizzie Bennett, who is a grad student and uh, who creates a vlog as part of her thesis. Uh, the vlog introduces us to the Bennett family, including Lizzie's sisters Jane and Lydia, Lizzie's best friend Charlotte Lou, uh, neighbors Bing Lee and his sister Caroline. Bing Lee. Bing Lee. I love it. And of course, William Darcy. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so the plot mostly follows the structure of Pride and Prejudice, but obviously everything's set in these modern times, so there are some changes. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie and Charlotte are both grad students studying mass communication. Lizzie lives at home with her parents and sisters, whom she loves but doesn't always get along with. Uh, 
The Lee family moves nearby, and Elvis Bennett Jane, who is sweet and adorable, has major adorbs chemistry with future Dr. Bingley. Super cute. Super cute. Uh, Lizzie's, however, is not so impressed with Bing's snobby sister Caroline or Bing's best friend William Darcy, who's apparently not that impressed with Lizzie either. He's just too dreamy. Too dreamy. And proud? Yeah. Or prejudiced? One of those two. Proud and dreamy. Um, So when uh, Bing abruptly leaves town without telling Jane, Lizzie believes that Darcy's behind it because he thinks the Bennets aren't good enough for the Lees. I know. Sad. Um, Lizzie runs into Ricky Collins, who's an awkward person extraordinaire, (laughs) who has also started his own media company with the help of wealthy sponsor Catherine DeBerg. Lizzie turns him down for a job, but Charlotte accepts the position, causing stress between the friends. Lizzie also meets George Wickham, who is a hottie swim coach and who also knows and hates Darcy. He says it's because of a thing with money and Darcy's father and claims that Darcy is the jerk in the situation. So Lizzie and Wickham have a flirtation, but Wickham ultimately moves on to Lydia, the most social Bennet, and who hates being pushed aside by her sisters, who think she's nothing but a party girl. I know. Sad. So it's all sorts of family drama in there, too. Then while shadowing at Collins and Collins, Lizzie meets back up with Darcy, who confesses that he's into her, but that he also did kind of break up Bing and, J- Bing and Jane. Ugh. I know. It's because he thought that Jane wasn't really that into Bing because she's kind of reserved. Mm. And that, you know. A lot of assumptions. Yeah. Like a lot of. Man assumptions. Yeah. Man man assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. If that's not a term on like an article on Medium, it should be. It totally should be. Um. So Lizzie's later working at Pemberley Digital, which is actually owned by Darcy and his family, ends up getting to know him more and really realizes that he's not a total weirdo. (laughs) Lizzie and Darcy's relationship is progressing when Lizzie finds out that Wickham is threatening to release a sex tape of him and Lydia, whom Wickham Wickham has drawn into an emotionally abusive relationship. Oh, man. I know. It's real sad. Darcy's sister Gigi actually experienced the exact same thing with Wickham, which is why the Darcys hate Wickham. Oh, so there's like a history. There's like a real bad history there. Mm-hmm. So Darcy and Lizzie are able to stop the release of the video. Lydia, um, Lizzie recon- reconciles with Lydia. Bing reconciles with Jane. And Lizzie and Darcy kiss their faces. Kiss so many faces. So many faces. So was the sex tape thing on Snapchat? Because, man. Maybe. Yeah. That's crossing over with the youth of today. Yeah, exactly. All the (laughs) youths are Snapchatting about it. Absolutely. Um, So how long are the episodes? They're they're usually, I'm trying to remember, between like, you know, five and ten minutes long. They're real short. And it's like a straight up video blog style. Yeah. And um, one of the things that, you know, kind of jumping forward that I like about it is that um, obviously it's a web series supposedly from you know lizzie's perspective Mm -hmm. so to get uh, the viewer to see things that like they can't actually see lizzie will do like hat theater where she puts on different hats (laughs) to play different parts of time honored tradition exactly and then you know has friends do that so they can reenact whatever the audience needs to see um and Lydia also starts her own video series. So like you get and they the characters have their own social media accounts. So the story continues outside of the Lizzie Bennett Diaries videos themselves. Oh, cool. So it's um, really like a, a Lizzie Bennett cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you can watch just the videos, but the experience is enhanced when you see everything else going on around it as well. Um, 
So to recap some characters, there's Lizzie Bennett, her sisters Jane and Lydia, her best friend Charlotte, Bing Lee, who's adorable future doctor, his sister Caroline, William Darcy, his sister Gigi, Ricky Collins, uh, Fitzwilliam, who's Darcy's close friend and like a good guy, George Wickham, who's a not a good guy, Oh no! Uh, Mary Bennett, who is their emo cousin and sometimes shows up <laughs> in Lydia's videos, and Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, who never actually appear, but appear as hat theater characters. Yay, hats. Um, so some themes from the show, uh, first impressions aren't always accurate, like Pride and Prejudice, many mistakes come from judging people too quickly. Um, also the importance of family, like Lizzie doesn't always get along with Lydia or her mother, but she's a Bennett and the Bennets have each other's backs. Mm -hmm. Also, slut shaming is wrong. Yeah. Lydia feels like her sisters don't take her seriously because she likes to have fun, which Wickham uses to draw Lydia into an emotionally abusive relationship. But the show doesn't shame Lydia for being who she is. The fault is definitely with Wickham. Mm -hmm. um, and for Lizzie, even though she doesn't get her sister or how social she is, that doesn't mean Lydia is not worthy of love or care. And this is something that is not in the original novel. Like, Lydia is just kind of a flighty sure. socialite. Um, and I really love that they have changed that here. So, again, like, Lydia is a person of substance, even though she enjoys having fun. Yeah, it feels like they really took the opportunity to move this story into a modern media and took yeah. with it a lot of themes to comment all the same. Exactly. Um, so some other things I like and that people will also like, um, it's like just such a smart, fun take on an already smart, fun book. Like, I love seeing how the Lizzie Bennett Diaries approached that original text and, and made those kind of changes. Um, the Lydia plot kind of standing out in particular. And again, it's a fantastic use of the form of the web series, including, um, again, doing the hat theater to show scenes that wouldn't, that there's no way Lizzie would bring a camera into, yeah. um, and using all the different social medias. Um, and honestly, just the cast is so fantastic. They bring so much to their characters and have such a great chemistry. Um, and it's been really fun to see them pop up in other web series and, and general shows and movies. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is, and it's probably as much a function of me dating you at the time as anything when you were watching it, but this felt like the first web series that I like heard about yeah. and was sort of aware of. And it feels like it was sort of helped codify the form a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was a real breakout. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, I remember seeing uh, Dorm Life. That was another web series oh, yeah. that I really liked. And so I think there there definitely were others around before then. But I, I feel like the Lizzie Bennett Diaries was the first one that I feel like went mainstream. Like I remember seeing lots of bigger articles about it. Yeah. And it's interesting that it feels like a lot of that impulse has now gone to like streaming services creating shows yeah of like creator, and youtube has gone more into the let's play and twitch area of like super user interaction yeah right? like, um a little less narrative on the youtube side but now like hulu and amazon prime and stuff have these like young creators coming through yeah which is awesome yeah. i think it's you know we're in the very early phases of internet media so it's fun seeing what people can do with it yeah and the different platforms and what they happen yeah um, so yeah, that's the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Yay! Do well, you... speaking yeah, speaking about being on the yeah. cusp of futures, um, let's talk about a slightly less ideal future. Uh, let's talk about Blade Runner, you guys. Uh, Blade Runner is a 1982 sci-fi noir movie. Uh, Neo noir is often uh, the genre that it's described as. Um, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Harrison Ford. Um, it's a loose adaptation of the Philip K. Dick novel "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," which is the sci-fi novel with the greatest title this side of I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream by Harlan Ellison. Um, 
brief synopsis of the movie. Uh, the film stars Harrison Ford as Deckard, uh, a former police officer in a dystopian future Los Angeles. Uh, in this future, a company called the Terrell Corporation has developed genetically engineered human-looking androids that are known as replicants. Um, they're illegal on Earth, uh, most likely because they're able to pass as human, uh, even though they're stronger and faster and a little more capable. And so they're used for sort of dangerous duties out in space, like mining and war and all the crazy space stuff that people don't want to do. Um, Deckard, when he was on the force, was a blade runner, which is a type of officer who is charged with identifying, tracking down, and retiring, which means killing replicants who make it to Earth. And hey, wouldn't you know it, at the start of the movie, a group of replicants have just made it to Earth. Um, Yeah. Um, One of the replicants gravely injures the department's current lead Blade Runner, and so the police chief drafts Deckard sort of forcefully back into service with some very vague One last job. Exactly. He's he's like, he's only negative 10 days away from retirement. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, guys, I just signed up for a painting class. I bought a cool boat. Um, Um, I'm really looking forward to spending more time with my family. Yeah. I'm working on my golf swing. Am I right, guys? Yeah. Huh? Oh. Um, but yeah, the, he's not allowed to do any of that because Edward James almost shows up as Yay! Gaff, uh, who is a member, a current member of the police force and is sort of tasked with, um, quote unquote, recruiting Deckard back. And maybe that was like Adama in his early years. Like yeah. he was, you know, on the on the replicant finding. I don't know. A team. lot of weird stuff would have to happen to Gaff for him to turn into, into Adama. He's he's weird in this movie. And very like imposing. I mean, Adam is very imposing, that's but true. in like a warm, fuzzy way. Yeah, he's Gaff is not a nice dude. Um, but we love you, Edward James. Almost you can be in true. any movie you want. Anything you want to do, you go ahead and do it. Stand and deliver. Um, so Deckard, uh, after being brought back onto this case, works to find the escaped replicants who have come to Earth to try and find a way to extend their lifespans. Um, they're only designed to live for four years, and they would like to live longer, please. Aww. So they're looking for ways to do that. Um, their leader is Roy Batty, who is played by Rutger Hauer, uh, and also include Pris, who is a described as, quote, a standard pleasure model, which sort of Ooh. gives you an idea of the attitude yeah. people have towards replicants. Um, Leon who is sort of the bruiser and Zora who has a pet synthetic snake um, <laughs> I feel like she's she's just there being like I, I've got a snake and Zora um, and she Aww. wears a clear ra- raincoat um, he also Deckard also meets Rachel who is the assistant to the head of the Terrell Corporation uh, and Rachel is actually turns out to be a more advanced replicant than any others who have been created um, she's actually been implanted with fake memories Aww. so that she doesn't know that she's a replicant Aww. Um, he goes ahead and tells her though. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Deckard. Um, uh, over the course of Deckard's search, he meets all sorts of sort of weird future punk people. Uh, there's a guy who makes synthetic eyeballs, um, and also the reclusive genius JF Sebastian, um, who's this sort of odd, pathetic character who gets manipulated by everybody, but especially by the replicants and Terrell, um, and as Deckard encounters these people and hunts down the re- the replicants and is forced to kill them, um, he sort of starts to question the nature of their humanity and even his own. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. Ambiguous ending. Um, but yeah, the movie is great. Um, so much about it is atmosphere and mood and production design. But the characters are actually incredibly memorable as well. And even though they're drawn pretty 
briefly. Uh, there's a lot of terse dialogue. People spend a lot of time expositing. Um, they really stand out. Um, there's Deckard, who's played brilliantly by Harrison Ford, right when he was sort of starting the shift from charming rogue into grumpy grandpa. Aww. This was sort of the midpoint. Um, so yeah, he's sort of too old for this stuff, but also has a little bit of rakishness to him and a really good sense of comic timing. Um, there's Rachel, played by Sean Young, who's, again, this sort of tragic replicant with a heart of gold. Uh, Roy Batty, who's tragic in a different way. Rudger Hauer plays him so great and so weird. Um, he's sort of like a warrior poet replicant um he's seen things you people wouldn't believe mm-hmm. uh and it's very he's sort of the philosopher king of the the replicants um there's jf sebastian played by william sanderson uh he's again this brilliant sort of second in command at the Tyrell corporation he suffers from a thing called methuselah syndrome which means that he's actually 25 but he looks like he's like 60 he basically has jack disease from the robin williams movie jack oh no um, but it causes him to have some sympathy with the replicants because he sort of understands this thing about lifespan and ma- it makes him a little more easily manipulated by them um and then there's gaff edward james almost um he's the police officer watching over deckard he likes to make and leave little origami match shapes um, wherever he goes and little animals. Um, again, Edward James almost does a great job of establishing an air of just like weird malice to him. I feel like weird malice is the great subtitle for this movie. Yeah, I think actually everybody has a sense yeah. of weird malice in one way or another. Um and then there's Bryant, the chief of police, uh, who's mainly just memorable because it's M. Emmett Walsh, and M. Emmett Walsh is great. Um, the other replicants are great. The most notable one is Pris, Daryl Hannah. Um, she's sort of the second in command, and uh, she gets to do a lot of cool gym fighting, which is um, gymnast fighting, not J-I-M, yeah. G-Y-M. Um, and then uh, there's Aiden Tyrrell, the head of the Tyrrell Corporation. Um, the really important thing about all of these characters is that they are ported almost directly over from like your average noir detective story um they're oh this, yes that dude who makes eyeballs in every yeah, you know everybody noir makes eyeballs story. In, in dashiell hammett's books um but no i mean it is this cyberpunk setting and very futuristic but the characters are straight up like here's it's, the corrupt businessman yeah. here's the guy who gets in over his head here's the dame with a heart of gold who has an agenda um here's the femme fatale like it really has a lot of fun writing that line it's a genre crossover yeah it actually is Mm -hmm. it's a perfect genre blend um so the themes and the fun stuff that it gets at, uh, I, the biggest one is the nature of humanity. Um, if I think I'm real and I can convince you that I'm real, am I real? Um, mm-hmm. Who are you to say that I'm not? Um, the re- One of the ways that Blade Runners find replicants is they subject them to this test called the Voight-Kampff test, which involves like questions of complicated or questionable morality and watching the replicants answers. So like there's a whole string about like you find a turtle on its back in the desert. What do you do? And you're listening for the answer but you're also watching the replicants expressions to see if they're feeling the requisite emotions and complications um, of each situation um so there's a lot of fun play with that um the contrast between memory and experience um rachel versus roy uh rachel is you know she has all these memories of this life that she had that she's been implanted with and they're part of the artificiality but roy has this whole moment towards the end of the movie about the memories that will be lost when he's gone because he actually experienced them um you know sea beams off the coast of orion and all that uh attack ships on no attack ships on fire off the coast of orion um there's a whole lot of cool 
cool science fiction-y words. Um, but yeah, this thing of like, what are the indelible things that make someone alive? Um, is it remembering things or is it seeing things? Um, the intersection of technology and regular life in the future. Um, mm -hmm. This is something that really Scott does very well in general. He did it great in Alien as well. There's a sense yeah. of like mundanity to the science um, and the technology. Um, everything feels very lived in in a kind of sad way. Um, yeah, I feel like this Blade Runner is not a future you'd like really want to live in. No, it's, it's not like, I mean, Star Wars is a long, long time ago, so it's not the course. future. But um, you you want to be a Jedi, you want to fly around in spaceships, mm -hmm. even though things feel kind of junky. Yeah. Um, whereas Blade Runner, you're like, I really don't want to be in yeah, future Los like Angeles. always raining and there's yeah, smog and yeah. the cars fly, but in like sad ways. Yeah. Um, which leads to the production design, which is one of the most fun and memorable parts of this whole movie. Um, the production team just completely outdoes themselves. Um right down to the score by Vangelis, which is like a super 80s, you know, it's like synth-tastic, but it totally fits the mood. Um, everything is smog and rain, and there's clashed cultures. Um, Gath speaks in a language called city-speak, which is like a hybrid of all of these different languages, English and French and Chinese and Mandarin, and it just like rolls them all into one in this idea of like, yeah, we're in this corporatized future world where everything has kind of had the lines blurred nationally because everybody's just kind of bought into this machine society. Um, the universe is like headcanon central. Uh, it does the perfect blend of establishing this bleak dystopia that has a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, Deckard's handgun in this movie is like one of my favorite movie guns of all time because it's just perfect, exactly what you want from like a cyberpunk noir detective. Um, there's a whole lot of versions of this movie, so I actually geek out a little bit because the theatrical release versus the final director's cut really become an object lesson for writers in how to respect your audience and trust them to keep up and leave ambiguity in your world building on um, the theatrical release because of pressure from the producers got cut a bunch and then they layered over the most bored sounding voiceover narration uh. over every moment from Harrison Ford where he explains everything that's happening because they were afraid audiences wouldn't get it. It makes the movie super boring and super terrible and Ridley Scott cut it all out for the definitive cut uh, which was the most recent release and is absolutely worth watching. Um, don't watch the theatrical release. Watch Ridley Scott's version because he trusts the audience to just keep up and sort of live in this world that he's built. So it's great. Um, so yeah, Blade Runner, super depressing. Lizzie Bennet Diaries, super, super cozy. Yeah. Um, where do the where do the two meet up? At the intersection of technology and regular life. Hey. Um, yeah, again, I mean, being a web series, like obviously people these days, can you can make your own web series? But I feel like so much of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries talks about how we present ourselves via technology, how that can inhibit communication how that can foster communication mm -hmm. um and like who are we as people presenting ourselves through the media um and i think those questions kind of tie with replicants and who are you as a person and what yeah. does it mean to be human is it who you are presenting yourself as or is there some kind of core sense of self like is this is there a soul what is that is yeah. that actually just a collection of your memories and how you are presenting yourselves to other people and your reactions or is there something beyond that yeah yeah and i think that like they're both 
um, pieces of media that happened at like turning points in technological entertainment. Yeah, in their media. Yeah, I think Blade Runner is very much a like pre-internet but post-computers movie. Yeah. It's like um, that Apple commercial way back in the day. Yeah, it's exactly that. This idea of technology as something that stays almost completely separate. Um, whereas Lizzie Bennet and like the fun game of that is the replicants being this sort of merger and that's really disquieting and really weird. Whereas the Lizzie Bennet diaries was at a point when, um, storytelling structures and the approach and use of technology was become, was new to narrative in yeah. general. Uh, and so they could really sort of have this turning point. Um, and it was before people like took those narrative forms seriously and started giving them platforms and and yes thinking of those as real storytelling platforms as much as a movie or tv show versus like oh my kid has a camera on his phone and he and his friends videotape each other doing wacky things yeah and i think they also i mean they have they both have cult status because i think they are also pitched at people who are thinking long term sort of looking ahead like i mean lizzie bennett speaks more spoke more to a younger an audience that was younger at that yeah. time and i think blade runner was it was getting picked up by like college cinephiles and high school kids who were into movies and yeah. like main, it, it and, bombed and mainstream I, and i think um audiences who are looking for um a kind of literary experience mm-hmm. um what's obviously lizzie bennett dyer is based on pride and prejudice like if yeah. you know i think i saw some interview uh with hank green and bernie sue talking about how you know one they they were thinking of their target target audience as these young people who were very into literature and mm-hmm. thought this was be would be a fun thing and we're watching the story from the perspective of someone who knows the yeah story. exactly you already know what the beats are going to be so you're yeah. seeing to you're watching to see how they change the tune yeah you're playing the game in the yeah. same way that blade runner is a noir movie yeah. grafted onto this science fiction setting and is also in conversation with philip k dick who's one of the yeah. most important sci-fi writers exactly um, yeah i mean these both of these medias are kind of preaching to the choir a little bit but in very entertainment entertaining yeah, ways like that it's... make them able to bridge right and like going beyond the just what the again the beats of the original story are and and seeing how to change these things that you think you already know yeah there's a lot of love and a lot of passion behind yeah, and thoughtfulness yeah so i think like you know the the themes that the things are grappling with really presently maybe don't cross over as nicely but i think the what they both represent as oh, pieces totally. of media are like really kind of in sync with one another yeah. um and they'll be even more in sync with each other in a few minutes because now we're going to talk about how these two worlds yes. collide okay so i feel like you know if we're going to go down the the rabbit hole of like technology and communication mm-hmm. i feel like Lady Catherine de Bourgh, or just Catherine de Bourgh in this, um, <laughs> just flashing back to the original Jane. Mm-hmm. I think she would be, you know, she is a wealthy woman on the cutting edge of of communications technology. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would have some kind of role in replicants. In the Terrell Corporation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe not like we're going to make them as pleasure bots because that's creepy yeah. but but being upfront with like okay like what is this technology going to be used for mm-hmm. and um yeah i feel like i can see that as a gateway and maybe lizzie again like shadowing at the tyrell corporation mm. um and maybe coming across some things that are that are not so a little disquieting yeah a little bit disquieting yeah yeah i mean i think um for me i, th- I like that that's bringing some darkness into the lizzie bennett yeah world. For me, i think it's lizzie bennett bringing a little bit of lightness into the blade runner world because i think um 
you know, they talk about replicants as entertainment in the movie, but because it's a noir movie, they talk about them in terms of prostitution mm-hmm. and stripping engagement yeah. and entertainment. Um, I think that, you know, there's a big, wide berth of opportunity for replicants to actually create entertainment as entertainment in, oh, yeah. in the world and streaming media and video. So um, in my idea, everybody... That they would be like the perfect morning news anchor team. Exactly. Um, So yeah, in my idea, it's actually that the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is a piece of media in the Blade Runner universe because it's this longstanding story and all of that's happening. And rather than the actors playing the Lizzie Bennet characters, they've all they're all replicants who have been created to be Lizzie Bennet. Do they know that? They are replicants well, enacting ha-ha. the story. You see, they're very savvy internet users. Yeah. And they're very bright. And I think that they start to realize it. Ah, that they have been created to be these characters. And, you and know, they, they just think they're vlogging. replicating this story. Yeah, exactly. In this story that has lasted <gasps> for centuries yeah. because it's Jane Austen. And, and everybody timeless, loves it. And it's going to get adapted every 30 years no matter what. So, yeah, I think that like they are living inside of this adaptation. They think that they're these characters. They're vlogging and it's being broadcast out. And I think Deckard is finally allowed to retire. Um, <laughs> but while watching the media, because what else is he doing? Yeah. He's retired. He starts to realize that something seems to be weird about these characters yeah. or this entertainment. That maybe these uh, are replicants and maybe they're starting to wake up a little bit. Um, oh. They're you know, maybe starting to go against the script. And again, he's all about Voight comp test. He's very subtle. So he's yeah. picking up things that most people probably aren't. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then like I think maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe Roy Batty escapes at that point and goes into show business along with Pris and everybody. And so they get wrapped up in all of this too, the the, the escaped replicants. Um, So yeah, I think that it's like you can play a lot of fun games when you start introducing questions of who's a replicant and who's not. Yeah, oh, definitely. And And again, like, what does that mean and what does it matter? Yeah. So if all the Lizzie Bennet characters are replicants, um, like, what does that mean for them when the show ends? Yeah. Are they shut off? Are are they retired? Yeah. and, And can they... Like, um, was it Rachel at the end of Blade mm-hmm. Runner? Can they escape and have their own life, even if it's for a short period of time? Right. Yeah. It's Edward James almost gets the last line of the movie where he's talking to Decker and he says, it's a shame she won't live. But then again, who does? Which is like, yeah, yeah, this idea right? that life is what you make it, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, there's a really fun interplay, I think, between that. Um, it's, Lizzie Bennett is a, is a show that is so wrapped up in the idea of media and of broadcast yeah. and of living publicly. And, and I feel like part of that is interesting because I think with the, the, the web series format like that in general where it's like the confessional style videos, mm-hmm. um, sometimes yeah, it is a little hard to believe that someone would be not only recording these thoughts but then sharing them with the world. Yeah. You're like, wow, that's like you think Darcy's going to see some of these videos, girl. Right. Like so maybe you shouldn't be totally bashing him. Um, but then they, they would be doing that if they were actually replicants. Yeah. They, they would think I again like maybe I'm bashing Darcy. This is probably not the best thing to have online, but you you are compelled right. to post this. Yeah, I feel this compulsion to do yeah. it because it's all part of the script. Um, yeah, so I think that then oh, you get the Blade Runner characters. Maybe interfacing. there isn't even a Mister and Mrs. Bennett. Yeah. That's why we never see them because oh they God. don't need replicant robots. Are we sure that everybody on the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is not in fact a replicant in our reality? Oh right my now? God! They're the perfect entertainment machines. They are. <laughs> that is true. They do a perfect job. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that like this is a lot of fun of like who's a replicant, who's not. Um, you know, LA. Is outside. there anyone who would not be a replicant in the Lizzie Bennett world? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, and yeah, who's gonna like blow the doors up? Well, okay, so who would be a character who would be like the handler character? You know, the person whose job it is to kind of course correct the replicants if they start getting off script or start moving away. Who's our character who's most likely to be that control oh, element? Man, you know, I feel like I'm gonna go for Charlotte Lou mm-hmm. because she like Lizzie is is smart and funny but she's very practical yeah and I feel like you would want her to be the character who manages the best she's running the numbers in the background yeah exactly and she but she's also someone who's really thoughtful she's a good friend Mm -hmm. you trust her unlike say Ricky Collins who's very much about image and presenting himself well it's very structured exactly and he wants he's again like a total awkward face but he he wants you to know how connected he is, mm-hmm. how successful he is. Yeah. Um, whereas Charlotte, she is very hardworking and very driven. But again, you trust her as a person, which yeah. maybe means you can't trust her. Oh my god! You trust her as a literal person. You know this kind of paranoia. But maybe she gets so invested in the replicants, she oh. wants to help break them out. You know this is the exact kind of paranoid thinking that makes you wind up in the battle dome. <gasps> battle who's, dome. Who's fighting? Oh my gosh! Um, so obviously, you know, so here's my here's my feeling on Deckard yeah. in this situation. Deckard's prime directive is to, you know, potentially his Take actual prime the, directive, yeah. if he's a replicant, yeah. is to destroy replicants who have gone rogue. So, yes. I mean, in theory, he could be battle doming any of these characters. But I feel like he's probably going to start having been swayed by Roy Batty and company. Right. Um, and, that, you know, seeing that maybe, you know, you, if you're a replicant, you can still have a successful life. Yeah. And a really meaningful life. Yeah. So I think the real Battle Dome candidate from Blade Runner is Gaff right now. So who do we want to see Edward James almost fight? Oh, man. Amongst the Lizzie Bennets of the world. I mean, I think Wickham is the character who gets killed and nobody oh, cares. Oh, totally. <laughs> Somebody, like, I want to say, like, Deckard. Like, Drowns him in a pool. Yeah, takes yeah. him out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe Wickham... He's going to turn all the other replicants in. Mm, yeah. Because he's a super big, awful cheater. It's true. Like, nasty face. Yeah. So he's going to, like, blow up the spot that they're all coming Yeah. Alive. And he's like, I, well, I'm going to get what the best I can out of this mm-hmm. and turn everybody else in. But Deckard is able to stop him. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. Cut um, it. Cut print. Yeah. Right. So Edward James almost. I almost. <laughs> Edward James almost <laughs> fights. Dramatic pause. <laughs> um, Maybe he goes up against Charlotte Lou. Like, again, mm. she, she's technically on the side of, you know, managing all the replicants, but mm. gets emotionally invested in them. Yeah. She has to protect them all. That's true. So she comes Charlotte Lou the is end. the secret hero of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. <laughs> yeah. And Gaff is, is going to, you know, keep going no matter what. So she's got to stop him. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's like all of the people who you want to be good guys in Blade Runner, you're just like, well, they would fight Wickham. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. Um, um, I wonder, so I feel like Batty and um, Ricky Collins would maybe not like fight to the death, but like have a have a war of words and Batty would want to strangle him. Yeah, I think they would have like a grandiosity off. Yes. A little bit. Like, totally. Yeah, they'd, be very, they'd be really breaking out the high school philosophy. Exactly. Uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think they would get along great. No. Um, how about Kiss Your Faces? 
Man, it's hard because, I mean, not that the Lizzie Bennet Diaries are teenagers. They're all young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and replicants. And now replicants. <laughs> um, but I feel like they're still younger than a lot of the um, Blade Runner characters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, the replicants of Blade Runner are only four years old, Annie. That is true. They're babies. They're babies. Um, let's see. So there's Pris. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel kind of bad for her. Yeah. Like, she, she I feel like she could... She needs someone she, to treat her well. Yeah, she needs to get out there. So, well, she's had a real rough go of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel bad for her as a replicant. She's oh, yeah. just trying to survive. Absolutely. Um, she's very crafty. Yeah. I I feel like maybe Gigi Darcy, who, again, uh, like, she was in an abusive relationship with Wickham. Mm-hmm. She is a survivor. Yeah. Maybe um, yeah, she Yeah, I think they would Chris, be good for each other. Yeah, because they they're both on a lot of smart levels. women. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, like... They're like just going to move forward with their lives in replicant love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who does J.F. Sebastian have an online romance with? Because I don't think he leaves his apartment, but I feel like J.F. Sebastian Maybe is someone is who would buddies? really... Yeah, I think this could be best buddies, but like, I think with a romantic tinge to it, Okay. Maybe it's like an asexual romantic relationship, or they just, they're they're close. They're, but... it, they're yeah, they're they're close without feeling sexual. Yeah, I think that it's like cuz I don't think he's not a sexual being in the movie. Uh he is he's surrounded by toys like that he's building and he's very like he's he you, pities you, Pris. You don't think he's asexual or you I do think not think he is a he... space sexual being. Okay. In the movie. Yeah. Just he's not his his feelings for Pris and and Roy are not don't seem to be guided by Lusted. Yeah. Um, he treats them with genuine care and all of okay. that. And he's just kind of this lonely guy who's by himself. I feel like he would really be taking advantage of the fact that, Liz- that the Lizzie Bennett characters all have their own Twitter accounts and stuff. Yeah, that like, is true. He would be like that guy who's really maybe, involved in the in the metagaming of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, maybe Jane, because she's a real sweet person. Aww. I feel like that he, he maybe like would just be looking for someone to like, you know, hang out and like have a nice conversation yeah, with. Yeah, and talk um, to yeah, and she's very gentle and mm. um, and thoughtful. And he could build automatons to do hat theater. Aww, <laughs> little hats, little little hat automatons. Um, so yeah, I think that's cool. Um, yeah, who else do we have in Kiss Your Faces? Any? Um, any? Yeah, Kiss Your Faces is tough. Or um, even and even best, best buddies, buddies. Is, it's hard because Blade Runner characters are a little they're, bit. Prickly. They're not really looking for buddies. No, they're not so much. Um, yeah, it's hard to be like, well, dude, who's making eyeballs? Yeah, who's oh, your Hannibal buddy? Chew. He needs he needs a friend. <laughs> uh huh. He's good at making eyeballs. Yeah, that's just what maybe he does. okay. So maybe he and Bing Lee can be friends because maybe Bing goes into um, plastic surgery. Oh yeah, and so he can make replicant parts. It's true for people. Yeah, he fixes them. And up. yeah, so now it's like okay, well. You know, you lost your eye in some kind of accident, but we can make you a replicant eyeball. Yeah, maybe fighting with calf. Yeah. Yeah. And then he makes him better, stronger, faster. Um, so, yeah, I like Wait, this. Wait, who's fighting with calf? Bing. Oh, no, but Bing is a doctor. Oh. oh, I'm saying Bing would be working with Mr. Eyeball. I see. Okay, yeah. they'd be So they'd be like work friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, being able to find ways to incorporate replicants into everyday life. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Um, yeah, I think this crossover is kind of fun. Yeah, I I feel like the I'm shocked at the thematic crossover 
potentials and the and the surprise of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries as a bunch of replicants. Well, I think it's like, I mean, honestly, it's a little bit of a cheat because I think any movie can be made more fascinating if you look at it and say, what if some of them are replicants? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's kind of like if you do, you know, um, what if you're Cylons? Yeah, exactly. It's the secret Cylon conundrum yeah. where it's an immediate depth to the experience. But you know what? I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. I think this is awesome. <laughs> and I love the idea of like, oh, these people have are retelling a story that we already know because they are programmed to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, speaking of stories that people want to interface with and such, that was a weird segue. Anyway, <laughs> old timey stories. Why don't you give us some readers advisories for Lizzie Bennet Diaries? Um, so obviously, Pride and Prejudice. Um, the hype is totally earned. It's smart and funny and critical and just so great. Uh, the BBC miniseries with Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely is or L. I can never know how to pronounce her name. Me she's neither. It's she's fantastic, whoever she is. Um, it's a classic. Um, so there are also other Pemberley digital shows, um, including mm. Emma Approved, which is their take on Emma. Um, Welcome to Sanditon, which is their take on Jane Austen's unfinished novel mm. t- uh, titled Sanditon. And some of these um, or both of those include Lizzie Bennet Diaries characters oh, like cool. Sanditon. Uh, Gigi Darcy is one of the main characters. They really do have a cinematic universe. Yeah. Right? Oh, God. It's a whole cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, Caroline Lee shows up in Emma Approved like it's fantastic. I also really like The March Family Letters, which is actually a Cherrydale production and distributed by Pemberley Digital. Mm. Um, it's a take on Little Women. And spoiler, right now they've actually only gone about halfway through the story. So in my mind, Beth never dies. Like, I don't know if they're actually going to finish, finish it. it? Oh. They, see, that's the thing. It's been a long time. Oh, so I'm just assuming that this is the way it ends. Everything is happy after that. <laughs> Beth never dies. It's Aww. perfect. Joey from Friends will be so happy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I'll put that book in a freezer. <laughs> um, some other fun literary web series that I like are The New Adventures of Peter and Wendy, based on Peter Pan. All for one, uh, based on the Three Musketeers, including several non-hetero characters. And Edward, uh, excuse me, Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party, which features a lot of awesome writers and characters. Um, and also some Lizzie Bennet actors. Can I throw a couple more web series in? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so. going to throw some in for yours, too. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I've been watching a bunch of McElroy content, um, who are the three brothers who have a bunch of podcasts. And Griffin McElroy also has a bunch of uh, web series that he runs through Polygon, which are some of the most fun and delightful things I've watched in a very long time. Are those narrative? No, oh, they're not. Okay. Well, one of them is Peacecraft is. Mm-hmm. Peacecraft is the game where Griffin decides to try to get through the entirety of the game, World of Warcraft, without murdering anyone. Um, <laughs> and it has become a weird internalized mythology with recurring characters and other people who have shown up to try to assist him in this. Um, and it's pretty delightful. Delightful. His name is Randy. He's a dwarf. Uh, it's great. Um, yeah. Also, Monster Factory is very funny, but that one's not narrative at all. Okay. Yay. Those are my recommendations. Yay um, things on the web. Yay things on the web. Um, for books, I would recommend 99 Days by Katie Catugno, which is a great take on slut shaming and family dynamics. Mm. Um, and then Just Visiting by Dahlia Adler about two friends who have grown up together and have to figure out their diff- uh, diverging lives, uh, much like uh, Lizzie and Charlotte. Um, and then for more sisterly goodness, I recommend uh, Jean Birdsall's Penderwick series, um, which are middle grade, so they're not um you know obviously lizzie bennett diaries again are, are young adults 
um, dealing with jobs and romance and all that. But um, the Penderwicks, it's just, oh, God, such good sister feels. Watching I love these you books. enjoy the Penderwicks books has been delightful. It's just warm, fuzzy, and, like, they just hit you right in the feels and the best <laughs> parts. It's fantastic. Yay. Um, so, yeah, those are mine. How about yours? Um, yeah, so for um, uh, Blade Runner, I can say, so my actually biggest recommendation is um, a tabletop game or video games. Um, there is a tabletop game called Shadowrun, uh, which was started in the 80s, and it is sort of basically Dungeons and Dragons, but in a cyberpunk setting. Um, there's like, you can like hack by going into um, the internet, essentially, and move around. There's like fantasy elements, but it's all because it's like 40 years in the future and sort of magic has erupted in the world. And so there's a lot of blends of like, you know, there's like street samurai who have guns and then there's like street shamans who raise totems and stuff. But it's a very Blade Runner-y aesthetic, uh, you know, future city, always raining, very grim, but delightful. Um, in the Shadowrun tabletop game, it's a lot of like, you're sort of running at, with this criminal crew and pulling off heists. A lot and of running going on in the future. a lot of running. Mm-hmm. You gotta run everywhere. Yeah. Um, and they have actually made, uh, using the mechanics of the Shadowrun tabletop games, they made a few video games that have come out. Uh, my favorite being Shadowrun Returns, which has a couple of sequels now. Um, it's a super fun game to play. It's a, an isometric RPG, so you're leveling up your characters. It's team combat. It's turn-based. It's really cool, and the storytelling is fun, and they find cool, funny, uh, often funny, and very fun twists on like um, getting in over your head on a heist. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend those. There is the Cyberpunk Trinity of things that I haven't actually read because I'm a bad science fiction and cyberpunk reader. Um, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson is the one that I see most often compared to Blade Runner and everything I've heard about it uh, has it on my list and I need to get to it. Um, it's apparently really, really great, as is Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis uh, and Ready, Pre- Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, which is not really cyberpunk, but it's sort of future setting, um, dealing with pop culture, mashup, that kind of thing. Um, some cyberpunk stuff that I have read... Uh, the Private Eye, which is a comic series by Brian K. Vaughn, who wrote Saga, is really, really great. It's published independently through panelsyndicate.com. The setup of it is that at some point in the fairly near future, everything on the internet goes public. So all of a sudden, everyone's entire lives are searchable. Um, every email they've ever sent, every piece of correspondence they've ever had. And this results in so much sort of horror on people's parts that... Um, identity protection becomes the most important part of life. People walk around in disguises. People aren't allowed to know each other's real names. Um, and the main character of the comic is a private eye who's basically a paparazzi. His job is to figure out who people are and tie them to this backstory that was released. Um, it's really cool. Uh, there's some fun detective mechanics in it. And it's Brian K. Vaughn, so it's funny and thoughtful as well. Um, also, give Brian K. Vaughn's Saga a read. It's another comic series in a very lovely and thoroughly thought out universe. It's great. Um, Total Recall uh, for some more bonkers 80s sci-fi in a fully realized but still somewhat insane world. Definitely way crazier than Blade Runner. You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger saying that he'll see Richter at the party um, and all sorts of other things. People's heads exploding on Mars. It's great. Check it out. Um, 
for more Ridley Scott, uh, definitely Alien. Um, is, did he do Aliens? Uh, he did not. That was James uh, Cameron. Oh, that's right. I was going to be like, I like that one. I haven't seen original Alien yet. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of scary movies. Yeah. So Ridley Scott basically did like Alien as like the perfect space horror movie. Of, like you spend so much time on the ship getting to know how these basically space truckers like interact and work and then watch them all get killed by the alien. Aww. And then James Cameron was like, now it's going to be an awesome action movie and did an also awesome successful. action movie. Yeah. Um, and Minority Report, the Tom Cruise movie directed by Steven Spielberg from probably about 10 or 12 years ago. More now. than that, I yeah, bet. Yeah, probably closer to 20, actually. Yeah. Um, is a little pulpier, but super fun. And again, another sort of dystopia sci-fi look at the future. Man, there's a lot of those. Um, for the detective aesthetics, uh, I feel like a lot of Blade Runner is based most heavily in the kind of Dashiell Hammett style of noir detective books. Um, the Maltese Falcon being the biggest one, but I also really, really enjoy Red Harvest. Um, it's just kind of Red Harvest is actually the book that uh, Yojimbo was based on, which then A Fistful of Dollars was based on. But uh, it's a very good sort of detective pulpy time. Um, and then just because always watch Battlestar Galactica, you guys. Yay, Ever James Olmos. Yay, future oh. kind of analog world. Yeah. Yeah, and you um, said you had some to throw in? Yeah, so I have uh, two, actually. So one, uh, Westworld. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like that those questions of what does it mean to be real, yeah. you know, replicanty creations who cannot remember that they are actually robots. Yeah, and um, I really left that one on the table. Thanks for I picking know. it up. No, no problem. Um, and then also Never Let Me Go by uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, which is... Um, I mean, he's a phenomenal writer, and this is a novel about um, people who are raised to basically be organ donors. They're um, clones, right? Are yeah, they, they are clones of other people, and they are raised to get their organs harvested. Grim. It's super grim. So they, yeah. they also die. I mean, they're not only four years old when they die, but they die very young. Um, yeah. And there is a big question throughout the book about whether or not that they have souls basically and are they are they worthwhile people or are they literally just bred for their organs and what does it mean to be someone who is like who is a living breathing person thinking and feeling and yet you're your fodder yeah um so yeah phenomenal movie thumbs up thumbs down movie's okay yeah. i saw it. it was fine i think the book is fantastic yeah Books are fantastic. Books are fantastic. Except as are get... web series and movies. Yeah, that are adaptations of books. Yeah, well, I mean, the movie is an adaptation exactly. of the book. And again, they did a good job. But like, I think so much of the mov- the book is like just this disquieting yeah. sense throughout. It's hard to really capture that. Very cool. Um, but anyway, those are my two yeah. additions. So you guys got a lot of stuff to work through in the two weeks before we see you again. Um, but if you get some free time in the meantime, Annie, where should they go for Crossover Appeal content? Uh, for all our Crossover Appeal content, you can go to crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can email us at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Facebook page at Crossover Appeal Podcast, and oh. we love asking people what they're watching on off weeks mm-hmm. or reading or whatever. Yeah, we so like hearing it quite come a bit. share your thoughts. Uh, you can vote on your favorite uh, grandmas of TV yeah. uh, by following us at Twitter. <laughs> Wait, so at- Emily Gilmore has won both of the past TV grandma polls that we have had this weekend. She will not be defeated. She will not. Like yeah. I'm trying to think about who I could match her up with who would beat her but i mean she is a winner mm-hmm. lucille yeah. bluth didn't even beat her in a one-on-one battle. in a one-on-one head-to-head battle yeah man. i am still team abuela from jane the virgin anyway but if you want to weigh in on such very lofty and important topics you can follow us on twitter at crossover appeal yes 
You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review things. Yeah. You can even leave us a review and let us know who your favorite TV grandma is. Maybe she wasn't even represented in our poll because Twitter only lets you pick four options. We might have missed her. Yeah. So tell us your favorite TV grandma in a review. Mm -hmm. Um, If you heard some jingle jangles and pitter patters of feet during this episode, it's because we are joined in the studio by our new producer, Bodo the dog. He's a wonderful producer. He is. He sometimes gets a little jealous when we're talking to microphones. We're not of talking him. to him and snuggling him like we should be. It's true. But you can also follow Bodo on Instagram at Bodo the dog. Because, yes. guys, it's Bodo. He's a dog. He's a dog. He's he's the prettiest person in our household, frankly. <laughs> it's true. So go look at Bodo and then leave us a review on iTunes to tell us how much you love Bodo. Or leave us a review with your dog's name oh my god yes. tell us about your dog in a review and then we'll cross your dog over with bodo and yes. it'll be great um but yeah while we mull over exactly what that would look like <laughs> it's, a, it's a really freaky episode of can i pet your dog seriously um everybody have a really super wonderful two weeks but for now this has been crossover appeal i'm walt mcgoff and i'm annie cardi and we're reminding you too as always please ship responsibly especially with dogs. <laughs> <laughs>